Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at livinghopechicago.com. We hope that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. Here's our simple message for today. Our message is this, that God can give us as believers the spiritual understanding that we need. That God can give us what only He can give us. And that's why Paul prayed. If you notice, he didn't say, God, I hope that they'll work hard to become smarter. He said, God, I pray that you would give to them the understanding. He uses a number of different words. In verse 17, he talked about the spirit of wisdom and revelation of Him. It's kind of like this, this receptive attitude, this disposition to be able to receive knowledge and wisdom. About who? About God. That's what he says at the end of verse 17. In the knowledge of Him, God give to them this spiritual ability to know you. And then I love this phrase in verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. It's the idea of the eyes of the soul, the eyes of the heart being opened up, being, being made to see. That, that God is able to do that for you. And God is able to do that for me by, by His grace. And so what truths can God enable us to spiritually understand? God wants to give us spiritual understanding. That's what Paul prayed about. God can give us spiritual understanding. And I want to talk about three truths that God is able to give us spiritual understanding about. The type of spiritual understanding that we need in order to be filled with hope and faith in God through this life that we live together. We bow with me for prayer. Father, thank you for bringing us together here this morning. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. Thank you for Christ. Thank you, Lord, for His blood that washes away our sin. Thank you that He's risen from the dead. Thank you for Your Word. Lord, thank you that we could just gather together in a little while, Lord, to take of communion. Remember the shedding of Christ's blood, His body broken on the cross for us. The fact that He's coming again. Thank you, Lord, that we've been able to sing today some praises. Thank you even for the children that were able to be in here together and with us, Lord. And what better place for kids to be in, to be in the house of the Lord and be able to learn the truths of God, be able to see in our lives, Lord, we pray, the, the grace of God in us. And, and even though that there's much that they're not able to take in about these services and somewhat even distracted through the services, God, we pray that you would communicate to their young hearts and minds that, that Jesus loves them, that we love them, that, that Jesus is the one that we follow, and that it will make an eternal difference in their lives. God, you've blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. But we need what Paul prayed for in this passage. We need spiritual understanding. God, God we need the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. That, that that's simply means, God, we need for you to help us to understand you. That, that you would open up the eyes of our soul, the spiritual eyes, and let the light in so that we can see, so that we can make sense, Lord, 
of all that you have done, all that you are. And that, Lord, as we gain that understanding from you, that we would be filled with great hope, with great confidence in you, and that our trust in you, our belief in you, would grow so that we would not be shaken as we're in this world, not be afraid, not be filled with fear, but be strong in the Lord in all these ways. So we live in difficult times, and your word tells us that things will get worse and worse. And we need to be strong in Christ. We need to know our God. And I pray that today, Lord, we would know you better from this message. Give us. We know that you can, that you're able. That's why Paul prayed it. And we join him in praying, God, give us spiritual understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Three truths that God can give us spiritual understanding in. Number one, God can give us spiritual understanding to know the hope of His calling. That's that's found in verse 18. He says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know the hope of His calling. Now, the word hope in the New Testament, one little quick Bible lesson for us. When you're studying the Bible, when I'm studying the Bible, what we need to understand is not necessarily how words are used today. We need to understand how words were used when they were originally written. And it's very important, especially like words like this, because the word hope means somewhat quite a bit different today than what it used when Paul was using it. Now, you know, today when people use the word hope, it's kind of like, I hope it doesn't rain. I hope that my bus or my train arrives on time. I hope that my doctor doesn't make me wait for an hour in the waiting room uh, until my appointment because I've got other things to do. So really, for us, the word hope doesn't really convey a whole lot of confidence. It really conveys a lot of doubt and skepticism, right? Like, I hope it doesn't rain. You didn't say that with much confidence. You kind of said that like, I really think it's going to rain, but I'm hoping against all odds that it doesn't. Well, it had really kind of the exact opposite meaning in the New Testament. The word hope literally means confident expectation. Or another way of putting it is assurance for the future. So in our day, it's like, I hope it doesn't rain. We're actually speaking a word of doubt and skepticism. When Paul was saying, he's talking about confident expectation. It's a far cry difference from what it means today. Confident Expectation. He's talking about being confidently expecting something with assurance in the future to happen. So that's what hope is. But hope about what? He says the hope of His calling. God's calling. So we can be filled with this confident expectation of good that is coming in the future. And that which is coming in the future, that good that we're hoping in, is God's calling. Now, when I was growing up, I didn't really understand what the Bible meant when it uses the word calling. Because when the Bible talks about the calling of God, there's a couple different ways that it's used. One of the lesser used ways that the word calling is used in the Bible is talking about like a pastor's calling. Like sometimes you'll hear me or another pastor say that God called me into the ministry. Or that God called Moses to be a prophet. Or that God called um, Paul to be an apostle. Or that God called someone to be a minister of the gospel. And that is certainly true. That God does 
um, choose people or lead people into certain particular areas of service for Him. And we'll probably talk about that through this study. But did you know that most of the time, when the Bible talks about the calling of God, it's not talking about some type of, of ministry work that God has called us to. But the word calling, if you're taking notes, write this down. The word calling means invitation or summons. And in the New Testament, when the Bible says that God has called us, what it means is that God has invited us into His kingdom with all the benefits that come with that. So when we're talking about the calling of God, we're talking about the fact that God has called believers into His kingdom. He's called us to be a part of His kingdom with all the benefits that come from that. God's calling includes all the things that we studied last week about how that He's chosen us in Christ, that He's adopted us as sons, that He's accepted us in grace, and He's made us heirs of eternal life. All of that are a part of God's call, the part of God's invitation, His summon to us. So it, it mean, putting these terms together, hope and calling, when we join them together, what it means is the confident expectation that believers have because God has called us into His kingdom. How many of you have ever seen that show or remember that show, Extreme Makeover Home Edition? You know what I'm talking about? Extreme Makeover Home Edition. This, if you haven't seen it, this is basically what happens. They, um, they find a family that's fallen on hard times. Maybe a family that's gone through a sickness or a death. Or sometimes they would find a family whose um, one of the, the family members was serving overseas. And they would, they would choose them to, to do some good for them. That They would find different situations. A lost job, family illness. And as a result, normally this particular family were really needing some financial help. And most of the time their house... Their literal house was kind of falling apart. Needed updates. Maybe it needed a new roof. Maybe the, the carpet was bad. There was just a lot of problems in the house. And so um, different family and friends could um, recommend someone to say, hey, you know, this family could really use some help and I, I would like to, um, to sign them up or I would like to um, uh, suggest that they be considered for this, this program. And so consider a family like that and they receive a phone call from Extreme Makeover Home Edition inviting them to be participants in the show. Now, what does that mean? That means that they're going to be sent on a vacation for a week or two to somewhere like Disneyland while experts come in and basically completely remodel and redesign their house. And normally there's some type of really big... um, a surprise for them that they don't know. I mean, they know their house is going to, they're not getting sent on a vacation and then they don't know anything's going. They know that their house is getting worked on. But normally there's something like, maybe it's a, a man cave or something down there and the guy's got all the stuff where he can watch sports. Or maybe it's the kids' room and it's a big giant room now with, 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 with beautiful stuff for all the kids. And they surprise them. That's normally the last thing and they take them in there. But imagine that family getting that phone call. They're going to get a totally renovated, redesigned house. I imagine that would be a call of hope for them. be a call that they received, inviting them to be on a program that would now bring them great hope. When I think about the call of God that's invited us into His kingdom, that gives us hope, I think about these verses. Think of Romans 8.28, and we know 
This is a passage that we all probably have heard and, and, and know. But we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Notice this phrase, to them who are the called. That's talking about you and I as believers. Those that have been invited into God's kingdom according to His purpose. And he goes on to explain, for whom He did foreknow, He did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn, firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. Whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. Here's another verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly or entirely. And I pray, God, that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love the last verse. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. It's this confident expectation that God has called me into His kingdom. Because of that, there is future good for me. There's this assurance of good in my future. Now think of all the uncertainties in our lives. Well, we have a lot of uncertainties. Our health is an uncertainty. Our finances can be an uncertainty. Our work, career can be an uncertainty. What is certain in our lives is the hope of His calling on us. You can't predict the weather tomorrow. You you can't predict that in 10 years you're going to have the same amount of money that you have now. You can't predict in 5 years that you're going to have good health. You can't even predict in 10 years that your family is going to be in good health. There is so much uncertainty about your life and my life. But as believers, what is certain is the hope of His calling. The fact that He has brought me into His kingdom. That I am a part of the kingdom of God. And that I can enjoy now the, the peace of God and knowing that, that all things are going to work together for good. It, ultimately, all of it, God is going to work out for good. Faithful is He who calleth you. You know, I think that a lot of Christians, our problem is, is that we're focusing on the uncertainties and we're basing too much of our security in that. Job, finances, health, and on and on and on. Those things that are uncertain. Are you discouraged or are you tempted to despair? Let God give you spiritual understanding to know the great hope of His calling. What He's called you to. And, and when He gives you that spiritual understanding to know the, the, the hope, that, that confident expectation that He's called you to, he, he will lift you out of that dark place of despair and let you see what great, great hope you have in Him. So that's the first thing that Paul prayed. God, You can give us the spiritual understanding we need to know the hope of Your calling. Number two, God can give us spiritual understanding to know the riches of His inheritance. The riches of his inheritance. If you were here last week, we ran into this word inheritance quite a bit already in in this chapter. He talked about it in verse 11. He talks about it in verse 14. How that you and I, through Christ, have an inheritance. The word inheritance, just to, to review from last week, the word inheritance means lot or portion that God has assigned. So that God has assigned 
to his children a lot or a portion. Specifically, it talks about that we will enjoy the, the glorious splendor of heaven with him forever. Look what he says in, in verse 18. And what the riches of the glory or the glorious riches of his inheritance, of his portion, his lot that he's given in the saints. So here's the idea. The the two words, riches and glory, emphasize the wealth and abundance that God owns. I mean, think about this, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You think about this, that God is the maker and creator of the universe. My pastor was a country man. I grew up in Oklahoma. I grew up, uh, I grew up in a city, but my pastor grew up in the hills. And he used to quote the verse all the time that says that our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he would quote that verse. My God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the taters under them, he would say. The potatoes under those. What, what do you mean by that? That our God is rich in wealth and abundance. He owns it all. And he says, I want you to understand, Paul is saying to these believers, the future riches that you will enjoy in heaven with Christ. You know, every parent, every parent, every grandparent wants to leave an inheritance to their kids. Every parent wants to do that. You know, they think about it. Throughout their life, they save money. They make investments. They acquire possessions. They probably write out a living will and then a will for them after they pass away. And what's going to be come of all that they have, all that they possess. And when they pass away, each child will get a portion, will get a lot of what they have. They'll have a portion of that assigned to them. You know, Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. I'm going to start asking my dad, Dad, are you a good man? <laughs> are you a good man, Dad? Because the Bible says a good man, no, I'm just kidding, is going to leave an inheritance to his children's children. You know, think about this. If a good man would do that, how much more a perfect God? If a good man would do that for his family, how much more would a perfect God? And if you and I look forward somewhat to to receiving an earthly inheritance from our family, how much more should we look forward to the inheritance that our loving, perfect, and rich Heavenly Father has? How much more should we look forward to that? Remember what Jesus said in John 14, 2 and 3? In my Father's house are many mansions. Then He went on to say, I go to prepare a place for you. An inheritance, a lot, a portion. And in my Father's house are many mansions. There's other versions that say rooms. And I'm sorry, I just don't like that as good. (laughs) Rooms doesn't sound like mansions. In my Father's house are many mansions. You know, often we don't know how much of an earthly inheritance that we're going to receive from family. You know why we don't know? There's numbers of reasons why we don't know. Sometimes we've just not been told. 
Other times, we just maybe someone tells us what we plan to get when they pass it down to us. But, you know, the inheritance is contingent upon a lot of factors. It's contingent upon the economy. Uh, in some families, it's contingent upon circumstances. I, I heard about Tory Spelling. Tory Spelling, whose father and his first name escapes me. Aaron Spelling, who passed away just a year or two ago, I think, and multi-billionaire. I mean, just incredible amount of money. And, and he left to his two kids, Aaron and, Aaron, and her, uh, her brother, um, a very small portion in con- consideration of all that, that he had. I know there are other reasons for that, and I'm not getting into the ethics behind that, and, and uh, that perhaps there were reasons behind that. But the idea was, I'm sure that when Aaron and her brother were growing up, <clears throat> living in the mansions where they were living in, in, in uh, Southern California with their dad who was so wealthy in the, uh, the entertainment industry, they're thinking, man, we are going to get a huge, huge inheritance. And they got a tiny bit of it. Why? Because evidently circumstances changed. But however, our Heavenly Father has given us specific details about our heavenly inheritance. I mean, He tells us in the New Testament, Jesus describes heaven for us. Revelation gives us vivid descriptions of the eternal state and what it's going to be like to be with God. I understand there's still a lot that we don't know, but let's not overlook what we do know from Scripture. And even the fact that the streets are paved with gold, that the walls are of jasper, that the gates are pearl. What more do you need to know right now about this place? Jesus said that that, that our Father has an inheritance. He said that this inheritance won't diminish. That's why Jesus said to lay up your treasure where it won't rust or corrupt or be stolen away. You know, and I don't know your present circumstances, what, what, what your life is like right now. You, you may not, you may be like me, you're maybe not, you're, you may not be super wealthy in material things. But, and as funny as it sounds to say this, but in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, you have such a rich inheritance awaiting for you that it surpasses what Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, or any other billionaire possesses. No, that that sounds like pretend talk. But if if the Bible is true, then the wealth that God has waiting for you and and for I far surpasses what any billionaire possesses, earthly speaking, today. That's why I think Paul went on to say in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, to set your affections on things above and not on the things of the earth. I mean, where are your affections? Are are your affections on material things? Or are your affections upon the kingdom of God? And your affections set upon Him. Let God give you and I spiritual understanding to know the riches of His inheritance. It helps us to deal with suffering because suffering is temporary. but, But the glory of our inheritance in Christ is eternal. Earthly riches can go away. Circumstances, economy, health, family situations can change. But the glory of our inheritance does not change. And you know what? I I, I really am convinced that Paul was writing to some people who knew what it was like to live in poverty. He's writing to people who were so poor in so many respects. 
And he's writing to them to say, look, you're poor, earthly speaking, but you are rich with an eternal heavenly inheritance. And casting their vision upon that to give them hope for the present. Because what I can't promise you, and what I can't even promise myself, is that you're going to be wealthy on this earth. That that, that you're going to experience an abundance on this earth. Now, the TV preachers will tell you that. But I'm not going to tell you that, because God doesn't say that. I shouldn't say all the TV, all the TV preachers don't tell you that. But many of them do. You know, you can speak to your wallet and money's magically going to appear in there. And that if you don't have a BMW, it's because you're living in sin. That's not what Scripture teaches. There are many who were poor, many without in the New Testament. Jesus Himself went without. He he didn't even have a place many times as a home to lay in, to sleep in. But yet you and I have a rich inheritance in Christ. Set your affection upon that and let it give you hope and strength and faith to go through the difficulties in this life. Lastly, spiritual understanding to know the hope of His calling. He's called us into His kingdom. We have that coming. The riches of an inheritance. Finally, number three, God can give a spiritual understanding to know the greatness of His power. Look what He says in verse 18. He says, I want your eyes, the understanding to be enlightened, verse 19, to know what is the hope, or excuse me, what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward, directed to usward, who believe according to the working of His mighty power. Well, we, we don't have time for this today, but Paul used four different words in the Greek language to refer to power, to emphasize God's all-encompassing power. He talks about in verse 19, according to the greatness of His power to us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power. Those are four different words. The word power is used twice, but in Greek it's two different words. The word working and the word mighty. All of those have to do with power. The first word power that you see, the exceeding greatness of His power, that first one means ability. The word working, underneath of that where it says the working of, that word means energy. The word mighty means to have strength. And that last word power, the very last word of verse 19 means dominion. And I love what Warren Wiersbe said. He said the phrase could be translated this. Listen carefully. This is how you could translate this verse. What is the surpassing greatness of His power to us who believe according to the operation of the might of His strength? That He's talking about divine, dynamic, eternal energy that's available to us. The eternal Divine, dynamic energy of God that is directed and made available to us. Verse 20 through 23 is Paul explaining the greatness of God's power through four events. Man, I wish we had time for a a real close treatment of this, but we don't. But he talked about the resurrection of Jesus. How that that displayed the surpassing greatness of God's power. He talked about, secondly in verse 20, the exaltation of Christ. When He set Him at His own right hand, how that displayed the surpassing power of God. The third one is in verse 21, which says that He's far above all principalities, powers, dominion, and and so forth. He's put all things under His feet. So the third one is the idea of Jesus' dominion over every name. 
Look at verse 20, that He's far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. Those are words even referring to spiritual or earthly powers. He's talking about angelic and demonic beings. He's talking about on earth kings and priests and presidents and rulers. He's saying Jesus is above all of them. And in case we get miss the message, He says in the last part of verse 21, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. He's talking about how that Jesus has dominion, that God has set Him above all, and He's put all under His feet. The fourth event that Paul referred to describing the great surpassing power of God is found in verse 22 when it says that He gave Jesus to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all things. So the fourth event is the fact that Jesus is now the head over all things. But the meaning of all this is that Paul's using these things and he's saying, God's great surpassing power is directed to you. He's directed that to you. That's what he said to us who believe, to Christians. He wants them to understand the exceeding greatness of God's power. Consider this as an illustration. I was doing some, I'm not a scientist. In fact, I'm not very smart when it comes to this stuff. But, but consider the, the vast size of the universe where there are billions upon billions upon billions of stars. In fact, uh, according to, to astronomers, the Milky Way, our, our galaxy, where Earth is at, According to astronomers, the Milky Way galaxy has somewhere between 200 and 400 billion stars in it. Astronomers also believe that there are billions of galaxies, so not just billions of stars, that there are now billions, that they believe there are billions of galaxies. According to an article on NASA.gov from October 2016, they said this that the previous estimate that there are around 200 billion galaxies is at least 10 times too low. They say it is possible that 90% of galaxies have yet to be studied. Think about that. We've studied 10% of all the galaxies that our God has made? And then... Even if you don't think of the galaxies and the stars, just consider the stars and the planets. Play that video that I've got. I'm going to play, it's about a one minute video, and there's not going to be any sound on this, but take a notice of this video. It'll start to move in a second, or it should at least, hopefully. But that to the left there is the sun. And that to the right is the largest star. It's kind of a funny name, but they've named it UI Scooty. And it's amazing. It is five billion times the volume of the sun. And the sun, according, I've just read this online, so if it's wrong, it's not my fault. But but they say that that, that you could put 1.3 million earths that could fit inside the sun. So the sun is just so astronomically big compared to the earth. But then you think about the size of the other stars that God has made, that the sun is like a speck. And this thing will keep going for another 45 seconds. In a second, you won't even be able to see the sun. Think about the surpassing greatness of His power. 
You know what's even more mind-boggling to me is that in Genesis 1, it talks about how that He made the sun and the earth, and then it says that He made the stars also. Like, like it wasn't a big deal. Someone said, if, if, there, if God is real, if we really do have a God, why did He go to all that trouble to make all these stars and planets? And then someone said, what trouble? What trouble? Well, what's difficult for our God? Jeremiah thirty two seventeen says, Ah, Lord God, thou hast, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth, and by thy great power and stretched out arm, there is nothing too hard for thee. If these vast galaxies with their stars and planets possess such great power and energy, how much more power must the God who made them possess? You see, our minds can't fully conceive the immeasurable power that God has. But He can give us spiritual understanding that we might know how to better make use. And and we might better know how mighty He is and how incredible the power that He has. But the, the thing I want to leave with you about this point is that that great power that we just saw a small portion of here in, 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 in our, our, our world, in our universe, that the power of God, He is directed towards us. You know what even another encouraging thing about this? Is that you and I don't even have to ask for this power. That, that this power has already been displayed for us when He, rose Christ, when he resurrected Christ from the dead, when He seated Christ at His right hand, when He made Him have dominion over everything, and when He made Him the head of the church. In fact, I love what someone said, you and I don't have to ask for the power of God. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God. We have the gospel that we can share. We have the power of God. His power is ours, and it's for every believer, not just a select few. But we do need spiritual understanding to know how to best appropriate or take hold of the power. Pastor and teacher John MacArthur said that the divine energy that lifted Christ from the grave to the earth and from the earth to heaven is the same power that will one day lift us to glory. Therefore, we have no need to feel insecure, worried, or weak. Because it's the very same power that not only is leading us through this life, but the same power that will lift us to be with God forever. My encouragement for you today is to take your eyes off your own weakness. For me to take my eyes off my own weakness which my weakness is great, your weakness is great, but for us to cast our eyes upon the strength of our God, to know with spiritual understanding what is the surpassing greatness of His power. And we would be like Jeremiah saying, Ah, Lord God, who's made the heavens and the earth by Your great power, there is nothing too hard for You. Nothing too hard for You. I'll close with this. Warren Wearsby tells a story about William Randolph Hearst, who's a millionaire from the late 1800s into the 1900s. And he was, collect, he was known for collecting art, many extremely valuable pieces of art. And he came across 
an extremely valuable piece of art that, that he decided he wanted to add to his extensive collection. So he instructed his agent to go through all the galleries of the world to find the masterpiece he was determined to have at any price. And after many months of painstaking search, the agent comes back to him with this news. He said, Mr. Hurst, the piece already belongs to you. It's been stored in one of your warehouses for many years. Went through all these. It'd be like, you know, have you ever done that? You ever had something in the attic and you're like, where is that? Man, we got to go to the store. You go all over looking for it. The next thing you know, you're going to the attic and you had it the whole time. You know what's wrong with a lot of believers? We're asking God to give us something. When the Bible says God has already given us all the spiritual blessings we need, we need to stop asking God to give us something and we need to start asking God to help us understand what He's already given us. Well, we need to ask Him to say, God, uh, You've already blessed me with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I have them. But I need You to help me to understand what they all mean and how I can make use and let these blessings impact my life. And God is able to do that. He's able to give us understanding to know the hope of His calling, the riches of His glorious inheritance, and the greatness of His power. Some of you in here today may need the beginning of, of God's spiritual understanding. And what I mean by that is, is that you need your eyes opened up to the gospel, to believe the gospel, because it starts there. Paul talked about us needing to be made wise unto salvation. He talked about our eyes being blinded, needing the, the light of the glorious gospel to come in to give us the knowledge of the truth. And if you've never come to saving knowledge in Jesus Christ, then, then, then you'll never be able to understand the hope of His calling, the, the riches of His inheritance, the surpassing greatness of His power. And by the way, you can be very religious and still not have your eyes open to the gospel and be saved. In fact, that's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He can't even understand. He's blind until he's born again. Again, and that may be in your situation, that, that you need to come to Christ and confess your sin and turn and repent of your sin and believe on Him to save you. And at that moment, He will save you. He will open your eyes. He will enlighten your soul. He'll bring you to the knowledge of the truth. But for those of us who are saved, will you pray with me today that, that God would open the eyes of our understanding that God would give us that understanding, that you and I would stop trying in, in the power of the flesh to be smart enough to figure out all that God has said and come to Him humbly and say, Lord, this is something that You must reveal. This is something You must give us wisdom in. It's not something that, that, that we can come to on our own. That God will graciously give us that spiritual understanding. You and I don't have to live frustrated as Christians. We don't have to live in the dark about what God has given us. We can live in the light and walk in the light, knowing the spiritual understanding. If you committed your life to Jesus Christ or made a spiritual decision, we would like to rejoice with you. Please connect with us on our website, livinghopechicago.com. We hope you'll join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.